This episode of the Get in the Game podcast with former United States Marine Rudy Gonzalez is brought to you by the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more stories on sports and faith, visit sportsspectrum.com. Now, let's get in the game. Welcome to Get in the Game Podcast with your host, Scott Lundy, former MLB star and current water mission advocate. Oh yeah, and he also happens to be our dad, so let's dive right in. Welcome to Get in the Game Podcast. I am your host, Scott Linebrink, and I'm here with a special guest. We're making the shift. We've, we've heard from a lot of baseball players, a lot of pro athletes, and we're going to start to get in after our, our session last time with Mitch Harris, who was also not just a baseball player, but also served in the Navy. And uh, I wanted to really talk to some of my military uh, friends who have served in the military, made that their life's work. And I love this idea of service around that. So this week, we've got a very special guest. His name is Rudy Gonzalez. Rudy, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be, a, be on, on this uh, podcast. I'm honored to have you, and I wanted to give a, a little bit of a background to our introduction. It came two years ago over at Adam LaRoche's ranch, and there was a, a special uh, military exercise that was happening for a group of special forces, and um, I was, in essence, the dummy. I was the, the shooting target, <laughs> but you were the guy there, one of the trained professionals who was helping to train us, uh, be as, as good of a dummy as we possibly could. To, yeah. to mimic the um, the resistance force that these special forces would encounter whenever they went into country. So I learned a lot from you in those few days, and I really appreciate you being here and, and talking about some of that. Awesome. So, yeah, you guys actually did a pretty good job against them. Well, we had good training. That's why. Yeah, that was good. That was a lot of fun. So Rudy's background uh, for everyone, he was Marine Recon, served there for four years. Marine Recon is a division of the Marine Corps, and it's basically the Special Forces Division. Um, so he got to see a lot there. He then went into law enforcement. He had a private security firm, eventually became a pastor, and served with Samaritan's Purse uh, doing private security there. He was part of the Ebola disaster response. Uh, back in 2014, when the Ebola outbreak happened in Liberia, he has dedicated a large portion of his life to the fight against human trafficking. And that's a lot what uh, the ministry that he serves at now uh, does. And his ministry is CERT, and that stands for Search, Evangelize, Rescue, and Train. So, Rudy, you've got a, just a wealth of experiences. Um, you've seen a lot of miracles over the course of your service. Uh, in yep. various areas. And I'd love for you just to tell us about some of those miracles that you witnessed. Well, I think, I think the biggest miracle is what God's done in my own life. And, um, you know, my, my real quick testimony is, uh, you know, being a, a Marine and um, serving during wartime and becoming a police officer. Um, my background is I was Catholic growing up and I, you know, had a good upbringing and went to a Catholic high school. So I was taught about God, went through the entire Bible. And it wasn't ever that I stopped believing in God. I just got angry with him because I thought if there's a God that is all powerful, how could he let bad things happen? Mm. You know, like if he can speak and make their let, let there be light and there's a sun that I can't even look into, then why can't he speak and take away all the pain and all the 
the hurt and all the things that I'd seen, but also the things that I had done. And um, I have a beautiful wife that was praying for me during that time. And she drug me to church one Sunday and this pastor was coming the next week. And so they were showing his promo video and uh, they were talking about two and three year olds being sold into prostitution. And I cursed God that day. Mm-hmm. And I said, see, God, this is why I don't serve you. How could you let this happen? And that miracle happened in my life where I heard the audible voice of the Lord because he spoke to me and he's like, no, Rudy, how could you let this happen? Mm-hmm. You're my hands. You're my feet. Serve me. And what I realized is that us answering our calling is just as great as God saying, let there be light. Wow. Which was pretty impactful for me. So that was uh, that was my Isaiah moment. You know, when people sometimes ask you, when did you get saved? That was my Isaiah moment where I was ruined, man. He, he tore down the kingdom of Rudy. He, uh, I, all that was left is me standing there before the Lord with nothing, but how can I serve you, Lord? Like, what, who shall you send? And he said, hey, I'm going to send you. So it was pretty, pretty crazy from that point on. So where were you? I'm, I'm curious in, in that bio that I just read off. At, at what point in, in that career were you that you experienced that? Was that the military, I, law enforcement? I, yeah, I just left law enforcement. I was okay. in the private security arena. And um, yeah, that's when it happened. Wow. So from there, you went into um, the pastorship. Is that is that what caused you to make that shift? Well, it was funny because I got the I can't help it. You know, when you have that moment that the Lord just, you know, does that radical change in your life. Like I would preach to a light pole if it would stand there long enough and hear what the Lord was doing in my life. So I, uh, I had this uh, kind of this self-righteousness that still needed to be stripped away where people are like, oh, you've got this pastoral calling on your life. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm just an evangelist. Like I tried to take the evangelist route out and um, people liked what they saw, what was happening in my life. And they wanted some of what I had. So they would go out to the streets with me. And the next thing you know, people were calling me pastor. And I had to take that, that, that calling, that anointing that Lord had put on my life and accept it, humble myself to where I finally, you know, made that change. And next thing church didn't look like it did normally. I mean, we were having church out on the street. We were having church, you know, in homeless encampments. We were having church in the worst places of the Tenderloin in San Francisco. We were anywhere we could have church. We were having it. And, uh, my house became a, uh, Kind of, it, it, I don't even know how to describe it, but I had 14 people living in an 1,100 square foot house. And we would have church that would go on for sometimes two, three days <laughs> where you would have to like, people would be worshiping for two to three days and, and our neighbors would complain and you'd have to go out the back door, out the side gate to get out if you wanted to go home. It was, it was crazy. So I guess, I, I mean, we didn't start church. Church kind of started in us, which was, which wow. was pretty cool. Yeah, what what I'm hearing you saying is that the serving others became just an outpouring for you. It wasn't like a plan, like, "Hey, we're going to do this for this amount of time, and then this and this." Uh, it was just something that had to happen, and you you were a, a result of it almost. Yeah, it was it was this idea of going out and sharing the good news. When you did that, you found people that were lost and hurting. And the good news was a major portion of what you were giving them, but you couldn't help but take care of their physical needs at the same time. Mm. So what we had, we gave, and it even got bigger because the doubts that happened in my life along the way got stripped away by the Holy Spirit. 
right? And it was, it was really neat because we were, there's this one, one day we were feeding this homeless man. I remember him. I remember his name. His name was Admiral. He was a, a Navy veteran that was homeless out on the streets. And my 10-year-old daughter at the time, now she's, she's um, 26, but my 10-year-old daughter at the time looked at me after we got done feeding him and praying for him. And I, you know, patted myself on the back and how great that was. She said, Dad, are there hungry kids? I said, yeah, baby, there are. And she said, well, why aren't we feeding them? Mm. And I came up with all those excuses of not enough time, not enough money. You know, dad's got a full-time job. We can't do this all by ourselves." And she was like that little boy with her lunch. She went home and took all the food out of our cupboards and said, dad, we have food. Let's go feed hungry kids. <laughs> so it was like we had this no excuses. We were surrounded by the body that kept us thriving in this idea of we had to be the body of Christ which was just amazing. I was truly blessed. What that says to me, Rudy, is that uh, it was a shift in the way of thinking of, hey, I have to take care of myself and my family first, and then whatever's left over, I can help these other people around me. But this comes first. But but your daughter, it sounds like she was looking out and saying, we got to serve them first. And if, if it means emptying our cabinets, so be it. We'll figure it out later. Right. Wow. Yeah. Do we believe or not? Like, that's the thing. Do we serve a God that is infinite and always giving that we don't have to have our storehouses full to where we empty our storehouses mm. so that he can bless us even more so that we can give more, which is pretty amazing idea. Cause once you start living by faith like that, man, it's like this train ride that you're just like, hold on, here we go. So it's pretty cool. Wow. That's so cool. That is. Um, so I want to go back to something cause you were talking about when you were feeding this homeless man, that intersection between physical needs and spiritual needs. Um, in my profession that I'm working with Water Mission, we see a lot of that. And it's it's how can we help them? Obviously, we want to help them um, come to know Jesus, know what he's done for them. But it's so much more meaningful when you can have an impact on their physical situation, too. Can you talk about some of the things yeah. that you've learned in that area? Yeah. I was really humbled. I, I got a haircut for the first time in like two months. And I was looking pretty scraggly because all the work they were doing and some of the undercover stuff. But um, the barber said something to me and it was neat because he was a he's a former Marine and a really rough looking guy, you know, tattoos all over his neck and on his face and all over his arms. And um, we got to talking about what I do. And he's like, hey, man, I was a former Marine. And he said, you know, I grew up and I grew up in the church. He said it was really difficult for me. Like I fell away from the faith because his mom and, and he were, were Catholic. And uh, he said, I taught catechism in high school and I would go clean the rectory. And he goes, I remember how hungry I was when I was cleaning the church. And I was thinking, God, why, aren't, why don't I have food? And he would go home and his mom would tell him we need, you know, we need to just pray and maybe God will give us something to eat tomorrow. He goes, but when I joined the Marine Corps, he goes, I learned something different. He goes, because those guys, like if your family was without, they took care of it. Like there wasn't even a question. Like the Marine Corps was a body together of, we are only as strong. We can only fight if we're as strong as our weakest link, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is sometimes you hear people preach out of the strangest areas, right? Because he's like, you know, like if so-and-so's family, if they had kids and they didn't have food, we all got together and we fed them, but nobody talked about it in formation the next day of how great they were. They didn't have to write a newsletter. They didn't have to post it on Facebook. 
They didn't have to do all these things. They just did it because they knew that was necessary. Mm. He's like, why can't the church be more like that? And I thought, man, you know, because the Bible says the church is this, the body of Christ fitly joined together, providing the needs of one another. And it should just be simple. It shouldn't be overwhelming because he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It shouldn't be like, we don't have enough resources to do this. We should just get busy and do it and see the miracles happen because the miracles follow those that believe, which is really cool. If we just believe the Lord's going to do the rest, it's going to be easy. So you brought up this idea of simplicity and it, it is simple. Um, you know, the Bible tells us to have childlike faith and, and it talks about the simplicity, not that we turn our eyes to some of the, the harder questions that are hard to answer, but, but at its basic core, it should be simple. And uh, when I was talking with a, a mutual friend of ours ahead of this interview, I said, what would you say about Rudy? And he said, man, his faith is simple and he lives it out every single day. So I guess I'd love to ask you, you know, how did you come to that point of faith like a child? Well, you know, I am a United States Marine and sometimes we're accused of being the dumbest of the four or the five armed forces of the Pentagon. Right. Um, and I think that's what it is, is uh, always keeping things simple. And um, I don't know if you've ever watched that movie, The Patriot. Remember when um, he uh, he's he's getting ready to ambush these uh, British forces and he's got his two sons with him and his youngest son is trembling in fear when he has to take that shot. And he reminds him, he says, hey, son, aim small, miss small. And so for me, that's always been it. You know, um, if I if I aim small, I know that I can probably hit that target. And pretty soon those targets are so big to other people, but they're still small to you. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a that's one of those things like our mutual friend when we were talking, we. Uh, you know, he's a pitcher also. And uh, and and it was really neat because I love that the way that you guys handle pressure and stress. And I was trying to talk to him about that because being on the security end, I still do private security work. And I had this opportunity to go to this. Uh, I was protecting um, some of the C-level executives from Google and um, some of the Twitter and some of the other ones. And they, they were all going through this conference. So you got to think these billionaires are in this conference on how to do business better, right? And so they had this business guru that was in there. And he said, it's really simple. Just take stress and turn it into pressure. Hmm. which is really different, right? So as a pitcher, you guys know when you're up on the mound, there can either be stress where you can let it get to you and you don't perform or you turn it into pressure where you guys perform at your best. So the same thing with the gospel or ministry or faith, even you take it from being stress, which can be a testament of, or a test of your faith, right? The stress can because of bills or health or finance, you know, any of those type of things. And you can turn it into pressure, which God tells you to do the work of the ministry, right? He tells you, you know, was not Rahab the prostitute, wasn't she justified by her works? She was under some immediate, which could have been called stress, but she turned it into pressure, which she got to see her faith in action. And so it's the same thing. Just flip the switch. Just realize, hey, God's going to take care of all of this. It's not stressful. It's just work of the ministry. Let's just get busy and let's get it done. So for me, that maybe I'd made it more complex and you were asking for a simple solution. But for me, it just became simple to that. Of God's going to back me up no matter where I'm at, whether it be Ebola or pimps shooting at me or being trapped in a foreign country 
being chased by the cartels. Like, it's just simple because God's going to answer that. I just got to put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Well, you alluded to it earlier when you talked about that Bible verse of take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. And I love that image. And I mean, I'm sure you know this, but for others listening, uh, the idea of an older ox and a younger ox next to it, the older ox being Jesus. And he's yoked yes. to the younger ox, not to to carry the weight of whatever he's pulling, but to train him and to make him walk alongside him. And that's that older ox that's really shouldering the majority of the weight. And it's really yep. just about a training exercise. And to your point, you know, if we just walk with Jesus, if we just allow him to guide us and stay in that yoke and not try to break free of it and go our own direction. But he says, no, I'll, I'll take the, the majority of the weight upon myself. You just got to yep. stay here with me and I'll lead it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. And believing in yourself. Mm. This is the thing is each and every person like and this is a good thing for people that are listening to this. Believing that God has called you for a time such as this, you know, when he called Peter out of the boat, because Peter said, God, just call me out of the boat. Like I want to be out there on the water, walking on water with you. And he did. And when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he started to sink. And then Jesus looked at him. He said, ye of little faith. And a lot of us are like, well, he lost his faith in Jesus. Really? You could have another way of thinking of it. Did he take his eyes off of what Jesus had called him to that? He had the ability through Christ to be able to do that. Mm. So you have little faith in yourself. Like I've called you to do this. There is no fail. Like you can't fail. You have to succeed because I put you into the fight. And that's a pretty valuable place to be at. Yeah. Wow. So God called you into some pretty key areas at key moments. And I would say, I would love to hear more about your time with Samaritan's Purse and working in the Ebola crisis, because that was something that a lot of us heard about. Um, I know at one point you even thought that you had contracted Ebola. Um, can you share about that that whole experience and what that did for you? Yeah, it was um, it was really interesting because um, I had never thought like, hey, man, I want to go fight Ebola. <laughs> was it like on a bucket list? It wasn't anything that I ever thought. You know, I don't think there are very many people. And if they are, we got to have their heads checked that they would want to go into an environment like that. And I felt completely ill-equipped. I remember flying over on the plane, looking at all these virologists and people with these fancy letters after their name. And here was Rudy with a high school diploma as the recon Marine flying into this foreign country thinking, I have to help keep these people alive. Like, how am I going to do that? And um, it was, it was, it was a point of, of stretching of my faith because uh, yeah, there was one night where we would do um, uh, hourly temperature checks. And I don't know what it was. It was, you know, maybe something I ate or I don't know, but I, I didn't get over a hundred degree temperature, but my temperature started to rise. And I remember calling the, the country director that was there. And I said, Hey, uh, I don't want to freak anybody out, but I've gone into my room and I've shut my door, but you know, I'm starting to get a fever and I'm not sure what's going on. And you know, Samaritan's Purse was the only, well, one of the only um, uh, organizations that were there that had two of their members contract Ebola and successfully lived through it, right? And so I came in right after that. In fact, Dr. Kent, I had his phone. Like it was when they do the changeover, like here, here's your, your cell phone to use in country and that bit. I had his phone and he wow. was back in the States 
being healed of Ebola, right? So it was really real and seeing, you know, you're constantly seeing people die. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, quite the experience, probably more so than I'd ever seen in any combat situation, the amount of death that was there. Really? And so, it, yeah. And, um, and so getting that fever was something I, it was, it was interesting. We just prayed through it and everything was okay. But what it really tested my faith, like there was a point, point where fear started to overcome me. And it was definitely, uh, I would say it was a demonic attack completely. Mm. We had, uh, we had taken on the responsibility to be kind of the first responders to a new village in, um, infection. Like if there were reports from a village of a possible Ebola outbreak, the Marines would drop us off in Ospreys and then we would hike in the 10 to 15 miles into that village. And then we would evaluate and say, yes, we think that they have Ebola and then start setting up isolation tents and how to take care of the dead and start training them on how to now not let everybody else in the village get it. And uh, we'd gone in and we were getting, um, we had the interpreter with us and we were like, okay, what's the situation? What's happening? And they started naming off names, these seven different people that had symptoms and what their symptoms were. And we were in a church and I remember them talking. It was the pastor's wife that just passed away and we're standing in the church that she lived in. So I'm like, this place hasn't been disinfected. You know, Ebola is not like COVID it, on a, on a head of a pin. There are a million different cells and it just takes one cell to infect you. And it can be just on your skin. You don't have to breathe it in. You don't have to ingest it. It could just be like a drop of spittle on your skin and you can get it infected. Wow. And um, I remember just having this, it felt physical, like a physical overwhelming fear and the enemy, you know, cause it says that the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, right? So he's the one that tells you all the horrible things about yourself and all your shortfalls and all these bad things. Right. So he's telling me, you're, you're never going to see your family again. This was stupid. Like, I can't believe you got yourself into this situation. And I'm like, I'm thinking, like, I could feel in my bones, like, I'm not leaving this village hmm. because I'm, there's no extract. Like the Marines aren't coming back to get us out. They'll drop us off, but they wouldn't come pick us up. Hmm. So if I started to get sick, I would have to walk all the way out to find, you know, like there was just, it was it. And um, this overwhelming force of fear and just scared being scared which you know i'm not accustomed to i'm not scared of very many things and um i remember them saying matthew age seven wet symptoms meaning that he had already started to um vomit blood and started to to defecate blood and usually you only have a, a maybe a day left before you pass away and that fear turned to anger which was really great it was awesome it was like the holy spirit coming on me after this attack and me getting angry, and, and I remember hearing the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, telling me, why are you afraid of Ebola? Ebola should be afraid of you. Mm. Did you not come in the name of the Lord? Like, did not Jesus send you? Like, don't you believe in all the promises that he's given you? And I remember just getting angry, and I said, hey, let's all go down to the middle of the, the, the village where the, the football field is, right? They, every village has a soccer field in, in, in Liberia. And we went down there and I remember just asking the village, I said, because they were struck with the same fear. It was like this 
this enemy attack on the village. And uh, I said, where's Jesus? And one man said, in my heart. I said, no, where is he right now physically? Where did he die on the cross to go to? And somebody said, on the throne. I said, right. So why do we have Ebola there? Like, why are we afraid? Why do we have Ebola up on the throne? Why are we worshiping Ebola? Mm. And um, I said, we should worship Christ. And I remember this old lady just started to sing. And then the whole village, we just started to worship together and give praise to the Lord. And I remember we worshiped till we, we all got tired and fell asleep. And the next morning, this was the miracle, which was awesome. Matthew, age seven, who had wet symptoms, was out on that football field running around kicking a soccer ball. No like way. he went from the deathbed to completely healed. Wow. And so when the CDC came in to actually do the physical, you know, the tests, he didn't have a single, like he had, they had, he had the, the antibodies to fighting the disease. So the Holy Spirit came in and because, and I believe this, it was, it was right at the tide when Ebola started to change. And I think, you know, there was no, there was no, you know, uh, we didn't have a, 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 what do they call it? The shot that we have here for, for COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, you couldn't get the vaccine. That's the word I'm looking for. There is no vaccine for Ebola. Really the tide started to change from this moment. And it's, Liberia is such a special country because they love Jesus there. But it was just, even me, we just had to have this mind shift that, man, we're, God is so much bigger than whatever the diagnosis can be, whatever, you know, the, whatever your financial advisor says, whatever, you know, the inning count might be, or like any of those things, God is so much greater than all of that. All he says that we have to do is believe. And that becomes simple. It takes a complex problem turns it into a simple solution and all we got to do is take that step of faith which is awesome that is an amazing testimony i appreciate you sharing that miracle um and i knew we were going to hear about a lot of miracles um i'm guessing that maybe you can tell us another story about a miracle you've witnessed in your fight against human trafficking and the the work that you have dedicated yourself to through cert um can you think of another story related to your work there or or maybe just share more about what you do yeah, just recently. So um, the ministry that we have is is really unique because when I when I became a pastor and I shared a little bit of that, um, I prayed. I said, Lord, what kind of church would you have me have? Because I couldn't see myself with the frosted tip hair and the skinny jeans. Like I wasn't going to be that type of pastor. I didn't think I could have like, you know, the young adult ministry or the children's ministry or any of that. Like I couldn't fit into that box. And the Lord kept it simple for me. He just said, go where the church is it. And uh, I, I, being a former police officer, I knew that, that, you know, seeing the desperation in a young girl's eyes that has been sold repeatedly, I knew that's where the church needed to be to see the, uh, the overwhelming, like captivity that a man is that he's, he's held captive to his lusts. Like that's where the church needs to be. And um, so we started this ministry that was really unique of just going into those, those areas and preaching to the girls that were being advertised online, which turned into us actually going and physically recovering them to now, man, we've done recoveries on five different continents. Um, we do a lot of work in the U S um, we've done, um, we've, we've, uh, rescued, you know, mainly our, our main thing is, uh, we go and get children that have take are taken from the U S into other countries. And we have, um, uh, all these guys that make up and, and girls that make up the ministry that have special operations background. So it's a twofold ministry where 
I get to minister to these guys that used to be warriors or thought that they used to be warriors and they get to apply what they had now in the name of Jesus, that skill set that they had gained to go out there and preach the gospel in a unique way and bring hope to those that thought lost forever. Right. Um, but one of the, the recent ones that I just love, this is, this is a testimony that's been just, uh, it's just been ringing back in my head over and over again. We had this young girl that called out for help. And um, it was here in the Southern California area. And they have this, this unique system where they can dial 211, right? And say, hey, I want, I'm a trafficking victim. I need help. And it doesn't have to be a police response. They can match them with a ministry that can give them resources and help, right? So this girl was in one of the most dangerous areas of the world. And it's right here in Southern California. Like I've been to, you know, I've been to Iraq and I've been to, to Yemen, Qatar, all over the world, you know, in some of the places that, that people have said that are dangerous right here in Southern California is probably one of the worst places I've ever seen. Wow! And she was there and she had called out and this ministry said that they would go pick her up and they didn't, mm -hmm. they made a promise that they couldn't keep because they thought it was too dangerous. And she got beat up really badly, but the Holy spirit, you know, it says nobody can come unless the spirit draws them. The Holy spirit was just thick on her heart to where, even though she got beat, she, she hid a phone and she called again. She called 211 again and said, I really want out. Somebody come get me. So all these other ministries that were like, hey, we can't go. Finally, it made the trickle down to our ministry. And we're like, yeah, we'll go get her. We operate in that area all the time. Like, we're not afraid to go in there. And so my daughter, who's an important part of the ministry, she's talking to her on the phone. She's like, OK, we're two and a half hours out. Let's let's figure out how we're going to do this. And so the plan was for me to fake being a John, a guy that was going to buy her. Like I'd roll up in a car. I would have cover units that are there. And then she would get in the car with me and then we would all take off and get her to a safe place. Well, the devil still wasn't giving up. So her pimp had told her do two more, like pick up two more dates and then you can go home and rest. So she was going to, on the second date, we were going to, I was going to pretend to be that person go in and swoop her. Well, this guy walks up or drives up and he offers her $300 for normally what she would get paid $50 for. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so it was enticing. So she gets in the car with this guy. He takes her to a back alley and he starts reaching under the seat. And she knew she was like, you know what? He's going to kill me. Mm. Like she had this overwhelming fear that he was going to kill her. And she had, because my daughter had been talking to her and praying for her on the phone, she had the audacity in the name of Jesus to look him straight in the eyes and say, whatever you're going to do, you're not going to do that. In the name of Jesus, you're going to drive me out of here and you're going to drop me off. Wow. So this young girl, the Holy Spirit just swelled up inside of her. And it was so cool because he did. He drove her out of the alley and dropped her off. And she called my daughter and she's like, just come get me now. Like I'm running down the street. And so my daughter like, we got her to a point to where our team could swoop in there. We swooped in and we got her and we can't take credit for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? This was, she could have cowered in fear. She could have fallen back, but the Lord through prayer. And it was really cool because on our ministry, we really don't give details where we're going or how we're doing an operation. You'll just, if you follow us on Facebook, you'll see us just put up pray now. And it could be our operators are going through a door or we're going into a neighborhood like that, or, there's a young girl that's on the run and the body of Christ just got together and started to pray. And I believe the Lord answered those prayers and gave her the audacity to mm -hmm. stare death right in the face and said, not today. You're going to take me out of here. So it was awesome. Wow.
Thank you for sharing that story. That is incredible. Yes. Um, I, I don't know if I have anything that compares to that, but I do know that prayer uh, works in situations like that where we don't see a path forward. Um, I can think of a specific time where we were stuck at the border with a, a bunch of materials that we were trying to get in to help a refugee camp and put in a water system. Um, and yeah. this, this customs agent was not going to let us pass. And, uh, and we prayed that this guy's heart would be turned. And there was nobody there actively working, sharing the gospel with him. Um, but we know that the spirit worked in that situation because the next day he just completely relented and allowed us to pass without having to pay anything. And we were able to go serve those people. So prayer works, awesome. man. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, it does. That's so cool. I, I appreciate you sharing those stories about the work you've done. I appreciate you putting yourself in harm's way and what you've done through the ministry. Um, I want to kind of wrap this up with uh, a quote that you are known for. And when I first met you, I heard a lot of stories about this. And, um, you know, somebody, I think it was our friend Adam LaRoche had said, uh, you know, hey, man, be careful on as y'all were going somewhere and, and or stay careful, stay safe. And uh, you looked him right in the eye and you said, no, no, don't stay safe, stay dangerous, because when you're dangerous, that's when you're going to accomplish things for the Lord. So, so talk about that, if you will. Why do you say that? Well, it's funny, you know, being a young Marine and a cop, nobody ever said, told me to be careful. And uh, it's funny, when I became a Christian, like all the Christians around me are always like, be careful where you're doing is dangerous, all this stuff. And in Philippians, it says, be careful for nothing. Mm -hmm. But in all things, prayer and supplication. And I love that in the King James where it says, be careful for nothing. And for me, that, that was that whole thing of let's just stay dangerous in the name of Jesus. Like, I love invading areas that the enemy thinks that he has, you know, where like with water missions. I love that that whole mission that you guys have of no devil. You're not going to you're not going to poison what can be life for this village. Like we're going to go there no matter what the threat is. We're going to have a promise of clean water. Like. Who should not, what child should not have clean water, right? Mm. And so that whole idea of be careful for nothing, like we're called to be the most dangerous individuals on the planet in the name of Jesus. Like the men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Remember when they described the disciples and the, then to be the apostles that way? Like who does not want to be that way? And And when we have like, it's, it, you know, it's so funny because we get this put into this box of this idea that there aren't enough resources, right? That's one of the things that tries to slow people down. Man, we serve a God that has all the resources, like every single bit of it. Like we don't have to sit back and think like, what if we lose this? Because the Lord just replenishes it. Like, what if they take this? Well, he's going to increase it tenfold. Like, even our life, like you, they, that's the coolest saying of, you don't have to be careful when you're a dead man, right? So if we've died to our sin and we live in Christ. That's the most dangerous thing you can be as a dead man because you can't die a, sec, a third, fourth, fifth death. You've already been born again. So yeah. wh what do we got to lose? Be careful for nothing. Stay dangerous. Great perspective. And uh, we know that when we're dangerous for the kingdom, though, that those attacks do come because the enemy is not going to attack somebody that's ineffective. Um, and no. so we have to surround ourselves with the armor of God, too. Right. Amen. Yeah. All the way from that, that helmet of, of salvation down to that breastplate of righteousness, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep.
Rudy, thank you so much. I've loved talking about your service, uh, your heart for serving others, for the way that you live out your faith so simply, um, and the, the miracles that are obvious evidence of the Spirit working in and through you. So bless you in the work you're doing with CERT, and thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you. God is good. Thank you for listening to the Get in the Game podcast with Scott Weinbrink part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. You can connect with Scott and follow him on Twitter at Scott Linebrink. We want to invite you to subscribe to the other shows on our network. Our flagship show, Sports Spectrum, Table 40 with Matt and Leslie Holiday, and Recalibrated with Mallory Brown. We'd also love for you to check out our Sports Spectrum magazine full of great stories and content covering the intersection of sports and faith. You can subscribe at sportsspectrum.com. It's $18 for an entire year subscription. Again, the website to subscribe is sportsspectrum.com. Thanks so much for listening.